0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and with me I have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. How have you been? Man, pretty good. You know what? And I'm also getting real jazzed up for Tech Night at the Ballpark. Really? Why don't you tell everybody what that is? So Tech Night at the Ballpark is an event that we, ho- we host every year at Marlins Ballpark in Miami. And it is held during a ball game. So heck, that's why we get Tech Night at the Ballpark. And it will be on August 25th, 2015. But what I really love about this event, it's a networking event for technologists all over South Florida. What happens is, is that you get you 15 bucks, you get yourself into the party and it's a party before the ball game and you'll find yourself amongst DBAs, security people and IT folk and devs and everyone networking together and, and chatting about technology and other stuff. I don't think anyone talks about baseball. I don't think I've had one conversation about baseball while I was at Tech Night Ballpark. What about you, Seth?
1: You know, I think I really know who wins the game at the end of Tech Night at the Ballpark, to be honest with you.
0: I can't even tell you. <laughs> I'm that, and I'm a baseball fan, and I can't even tell you. But you
1: know what? I probably bet that it's probably not the Marlins. <laughs> so whoever they were playing at the time is probably who won.
0: <laughs> but if you're interested in Tech Night at the Ballpark, you can go to com. $15 to get you into the door for an hour and a half, we'll have a pregame party, and then everybody will sit in the same section, and then we'll watch the Marlins, I believe, play the Rangers. The other cool thing, Cecil, that I like about this event is that it is a family event. So last year, I brought my family, and I know you brought your family last year, and we all kind of hung out together and made sure that no one got hit with a stray ball, you know, because that would Those
1: stray balls are dangerous, man.
0: It's true that. True that. So what got you excited, man? As most of you guys know, I've definitely been
1: a .NET Visual Studio guy for most of my career. And I'm really excited to go and check out the new version of Visual Studio 2015 that just got released. So I know for me, some of the things I'm really interested in is, you know, the new Roslyn compiler support that's in there. You know, the new version of C Sharp and also the new um, features for the ASP.NET Web Developer Editor
0: yeah you know the Roslyn stuff is has got me intrigued but also scared as well because you know as a as a consultant i'm I'm scared that I'd walk into a an environment and then all of a sudden they've overloaded all these standard symbols and then creating essentially their own d s l for <laughs> for c sharp and now you've got your own branch of code because somebody thought they could do it. You know, I'm kind of hoping that most people are going to be
1: too scared to even touch the compiler.
0: <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> I hope
1: I hope what most people would do is download refactorings. So right now you can go online and you can download specific refactorings for Visual Studio, for Rosalind, I'm sorry. And so it'll bring in those, you know, whatever those changes are as NuGet packages. I'm hoping oh. that's how most people would consume it versus saying, hey, let me go and create my own dialect of C-sharp.
0: Yeah, I, I could see the uh, the recruiter now saying, oh, do you know C-sharp-sharp? What? Oh, C-sharp-sharp. That's what we're using here. Uh-huh. No, not okay. your version,
1: my version.
0: <laughs> this is where we put all the Visual Basic goodness into C-sharp. I mean, you mean you don't have the brackets and the
1: tillings and the, the, the hashtag <laughs> next to the, the thing? You don't have that? <laughs> oh, man, that works great in mine. man. It's the best code I've ever wrote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so who are we talking to today cecil so today we're talking to mr dimitri lylan so dimitri he's been building software for over 16 years and he's worked in various industries including payroll education banking media and more recently microsoft consulting and premier support Currently, Dimitri works as a product manager for the Visual Studio team out of Redmond, where he moved from NYC a few years back. In his spare time, Dimitri loves building mobile apps, cloud services, and is a
0: very dedicated PC gamer. Yeah, I really think I like this guy, man. Yeah, man, it was a really fun conversation. So this conversation is really cool because you'll get a lot of inside baseball, not like the sport, but like inside the company stuff about Microsoft and really how they work as far as uh, the different roles and stuff. So I was really excited and really uh, had a lot of fun doing this interview. Yeah, this is definitely a great interview and I hope you guys love it. So this episode was recorded on June 16th, 2015. And now our conversation with Dimitri Lilan. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation.
1: All right, Dimitri. So, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Sure. So, for the people that are listening to us right now and you know they're not familiar with you or don't know who you are, what it is exactly that you do, do you mind giving us a little bit of insight as to, to who you are?
2: Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd be glad to do it. I'm sure nobody out there knows who I am, but uh, I'd be glad <laughs> to talk about it. If somebody says, Dimitri, go talk about yourself i'm like sure that sounds like fun so <laughs> sure, sure. kind of who am i um, i've been a software developer for about 16 years now i've spent uh, my career at microsoft since about 2008 when i started here um and i've uh, really been focused in my career on absolutely nothing you know uh it's been kind of interesting you know, kind of growing up as a developer i've never been specialized and there have been like the the hardcore developer and there have been the you know super duper architect or something but I've done everything you know that I can probably think of as a as a title within within the world and um, I've been really kind of loving loving the professional side of my life for the last 16 years it's been a great ride um kind of just a background about me in general I grew up in New York City I'm currently live in the greater Seattle area I moved here a couple of years ago to take the the, the job I have here at Microsoft today. Um, but I'm a New Yorker, kind of through and through. Um, as we were chatting before the show officially started, I'm a, I'm a big PC gamer. I love spending the, the hours I do have off uh, playing games out there and enjoying all sorts of MMOs, first-person shooters, you name it. I've I've played it, and, um, and that's a kind of a start.
1: Nice. So I know from me when I first really started following your activity on Twitter. I think it was just around, I think it was around build when build was going on and, you know, all the announcements and all the exciting stuff was happening. Yeah, busy time. and I think what I'd like to know—I mean, what was what was your what was your involvement exactly in, in that conference?
2: Sure. So um, as a product manager, uh, kind of working for the Visual Studio team, whenever um, the Build or you know Tech ed, now they call it Ignite, whenever the big events come around that you know we we invite our developers to, my team is involved at various um, various components of that event, right? So let's take a step back. Let's talk about Build. So Build's not something that any one team runs per se. You know, when I think of Build at a company as big as Microsoft. It is an event that's run by various teams, and yes, there are some people they kind of are in charge, right? But um, different teams own different aspects of the event, right? And then there's of course a core kind of organizing team. They make sure that everybody has a session, everybody has you know booth space. In other words, all the teams do, right? So they, they kind of facilitate the the middleman job. But we, in the Visual Studio team, we are responsible for a lot of the Visual Studio content, right? So you, if you think about uh, Visual Studio as a product, Visual Studio Online as another one, Team Foundation Server, or or other things such as like our .NET frameworks. So so all of those things we feel a lot of ownership of, and we help make sure, and I was actually specifically making sure that the sessions at Build reflected those products and technologies, right? So I'm in session planning, to making sure that we, we have all the right speakers and all the right topics being covered, and uh, we're also involved in keynotes, so we worked on... Making sure that our our things were in the keynotes and correctly presented and all the demos, you know, ran ran good, all the all the nerve wracking stuff and uh, all all the way down to the details around like making sure the booth had the right signage on the side of it. <laughs> you know, like you it's it's funny when you're working on something like build, you often like on one hand you're worried about, oh my gosh, the keynote. On the other hand, people are like nagging you, Dimitri, you really <laughs> need to know what the signage should say on this one corner on this one booth and you're like, Come on, you know, you just oh my right. gosh. But it's all important in the end.
1: Sure. No, definitely, definitely. I know for, for me, this particular build felt very different. It, for me, it was almost like the coming of the new Microsoft, right? And the new Visions and, you know, a lot of the new investments, looking at HoloLens, looking at the open sourcing of, you know, a lot of the ASP.NET technologies, looking at Visual Studio Code. You know, it, it seems like it's such a different company to me. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, what does it feel like for you guys that are working there right now? Like, is this culture and does the, the, the type of things that you guys are getting involved with in feel any different to you?
2: Yeah, so what, what I'll start with is to say that I think that the, the thing that you're feeling kind of as a somebody on the outside is tr- sure. something we can certainly feel as somebody on the inside, right, speaking. I, I will go back to what a, a lot of the conversations, you know, when you hear people talk about the new Microsoft, they often talk about the CEO change, right? That's that's where a lot of people in the press kind of uh, say that that's where it started. But I would say even even before Satya took over, I think there, there was a, a lot of great, you know, hardworking people that made decisions that kind of led up to this, what you guys see as the Microsoft. So I think, as with all stories, there's a lot more complexity than than often we get to realize when we sort of hear, it. oh, you know, everything got better when Satya started. And, and sure, we, we love Satya. I think he's a great CEO. Sure. Um, I certainly would, you know, like the, the old, will you follow the man into battle? I'd follow Satya into battle. You know, he's he's a good person and he's, he's definitely helped continue us on the right path and made a lot of new decisions that have set the new path. But it's, it's really the collection of a lot of people that care. You know, if one thing that I often feel that, that folks, you know, associate with, with Microsoft as a company, as a brand, they often think of, you know, as developers, right? And I'm not going to go talking about all the various aspects of the company, but like let's sure. talk, talk to developers specifically. I think people don't often realize that there's a lot of people that really care about their customers in here. You know, a lot of people that, that spend hours and days and weeks arguing over things because they they feel like they need to make the best and the rightest and and kind of the sometimes the 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 nicest decision that they can around something that's very complicated and kind of going back to your question does it feel different yes it definitely feels different and different in a good way
1: no that's definitely fantastic man so you mentioned that you were the product manager of, of Visual Studio. So so, what does that role entail for you exactly? Like what are some of the things you're responsible for?
2: A lot of lost hours of sleep, <laughs> to answer <laughs> what, the, what, it, what it entails, especially around events. You know, it, it, it's a crazy job. It, it, will, it It's a lot of fun. You know, um, I will say, the, uh, kind of to start us off, I'll say that the team of people that I work with, my immediate team of about 30 folks or so, uh, are some of the best people I, I've worked at in my career. And I, and I can say that, honestly, I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot. Of great people over time, but it's mm-hmm. it's been rare to for me to say I don't even know if I could if I could say that a full team of people was kind of as great to work with as these folks. And you know, we 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 as a team have um, have quite a bit of cohesion and and ability to to work in an agile way to get things done. I think that's what makes it work. So let, let's talk about the role itself, kind of what what is being a product manager right at Microsoft. Um, well, the the title itself can be a little bit misleading because it it means different. Different things on different teams to some degree, you know. So I will narrow my my discussion to to the developer story, right? So what is it like to be a product manager at Microsoft focused on developers? And there's actually a lot of us on different teams that have the same kind of role. There's uh, technical product managers that work on the Office side for the Office developer story, on the Windows side for the for the Windows platform, and I'm on the Visual Studio side. So we all partner as kind of a big V team to make sure that we can tell the developers the story of all the great work that the engineering people put together, right? So it's one of our biggest responsibilities is to be outward facing to the customer and making sure that we communicate well to the customer, making sure that the events go well, making sure that the websites and all of those, you know, all of those things that, you know, when you're building a product and you, you know, as a a program manager, you know, somebody who's a peer on the engineering side and they're responsible for building the widget, they don't you know think that far ahead right they're like well we got to get this widget done and okay you've got the widget done you've got to tell tell the world about it and that's kind of where we come in as product managers now one of the biggest things that folks might have seen um, kind of like if, if you're if you're thinking well what what has Dimitri worked on recently besides like the build conference right we had an event last fall it was called the connect event uh, that's an event that my team ran end to end right we we created that event from, from nothing, like no no venue, no speakers, no ideas, you know, just like we need to do an event to tell this great story that we're open sourcing.net. No pressure.
1: <laughs> no <laughs> pressure talk. at all.
2: No, no pressure. Oh, and by the way, we're going to preview for the very first time to the public Visual Studio 2015. And we don't have demos and we don't know where, we don't know how, go, go pull it off. So that that's the kind of thing that you know, we, we all come in, all hands on deck, and as part of that event, uh, I personally created all the videos. I worked with all the product teams to create all the on-demand videos that we shipped around the product. I worked on making sure that other, other parts of the event, kind of behind the scenes, were successful. I made sure that our release notes were up to date. Really, a lot of the customer communications and, uh, and video content, I, I often focus on videos.
1: Nice. And so for the video content, you're specifically talking about, I'm guessing, the videos that are on Channel 9 right now?
2: Yeah, we we also have a YouTube channel, and I hope people you know more people subscribe to it. But yes, we, we like I'm a huge fan of Channel Nine. You know, I work with them a lot, and we have our, our content up there. So okay. if you look at the you know, and I, we can put some links in the show notes, I'm sure. But if you look at like the Connect event, if you look at the um, from the fall or the the build videos we published, the Connect on Demand videos. So you can see this like pattern of us using the word Connect to describe these videos and things that we're putting together. So um, we we have I think to, in total. By the time the summer is over, probably over two hundred videos I wow. would have created and published. And and these videos, you know, we we spent a lot of time as as you know, like like as a as an engineer, you might say, Okay, well I want to do a video for for my baby, you know, for, for my child that I've created. So let's say IntelliTrace, right? So I wanna I wanna make a video for Trace, And that's great, but we've had to come up with how to make it all kind of be seamless. You know, how do we create a great looking video? How do we how do we make sure that when it when it's produced uh, it looks great? You know, um which team internally, which studio, what's the process, and and that's the kind of stuff that I, I found very interesting, you know, compared to the first part of my career when I when I focused just purely on building software as an engineer, right, as part of different teams or helping customers uh, make decisions around how to build software. Now I'm in a role where I'm standing in front of a green screen for the first time, kind of learning how all that works and and making sure I understand how to translate that to any PM that needs to do the video because I'm responsible to make sure that they're successful, and I and I take a lot of a lot, a lot of he, kind of feeling of responsibility to make sure that actually happens.
1: I've definitely seen some of the the videos you guys have on Channel 9 and I've always found them very useful, particularly after Connect was over. You know, I always found myself going back and, you know, the videos are about, some of them are about like 15, 20 minutes or so. Like they're pretty short videos to watch if we're talking yeah. about the same videos. And, you know, for me, it was really good to be able to go in and quickly get just enough information to be like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. I get it yeah because I, I find it's very easy that people sometimes get a little bit confused about what exactly is happening and you know what does what does .NET 2015 mean and what does visual studio code mean and you know and it, they get a little bit of confused, so I find those videos very, very helpful.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of the goal that we set out. And, and again, you know, when, when you get to a company as big as Microsoft, you sometimes think to yourself, well, everything has got to be figured out already. And then you, you join a team and you get told to go do videos. And, and no, everything's not figured out. You know, the, the world around us is changing and you have to adapt to it as well. You have to make sure that you're, it's not enough to make a video nowadays that it's, good, it's a good video. In the in sense, like the content's good. It's, it's got to look good. It's got to be modern. You've got to You've got a competition across, you know. Uh, when I look at other companies, Apple and Google, you know, and everybody out there, they're all they're all up in the game in terms of how how well things are documented, how nice the videos are, how great the audio quality is in their you know audio presentations and such. And and I worry a lot about that. So we we had to come up with a great way to do it, and we for the first time, kind of created a, a process where every single video is always done in the same style. So there's consistency for the viewers. So you guys also, are, the videos are condensed to be under 15 minutes so that they're easier to consume. And I've had to put a lot of those standards kind of on paper and, and define it and educate my speakers, right? You have to work with speakers. You can't just tell people, kind of throw it over the fence and it's gonna be successful. Um, I'll tell you guys, like the first time when we did the Visual Studio, like the first time I did these videos, videos, the first time we really set a standard was the. Studio 2013 launch it was the, my first kind of year with the team and I had to hold the hand of every single speaker and I don't mean that in like a bad way like these people are awesome but you have to help them you can't just throw this idea at them and say go be successful right you've got to sit with each one and you have to explain to them how you how you're gonna stand in front of a screen how you're gonna sit in front of a desk to do your demo how you should prepare your machine how your script should be ship should be made you know what are the goals why is it under 15 minutes all that stuff you need to help people. And, and it's something I really enjoy, just the making others successful because they're all such brilliant people. We have to get get them out there in front of customers to show their, their
0: awesome work. Way back in a previous life, I was a, a project manager, got the certification, did the whole thing, thought that's where my career was going to go. And I turned out that I really love technology more. Could you compare and contrast a product manager versus a project manager? Because I think most folks are aware of what a project manager does, I am i don't think most folks understand what a product manager does.
2: Okay. So first, l- let's make sure we get the, the the verbiage right here because this stuff is confusing and I don't blame you for saying it wrong in the Microsoft way <laughs> because I know what you meant and you, and you meant all the right things. So at Microsoft, we have something called program managers and then we have something called product managers. And we, we have very specific definitions of what those are and I said to myself uh, before ke- coming onto the show today, I said, you know, I bet you somebody on the internet explained this already, like made, made the perfect explanation. So I went to Google and I, and I searched for program manager versus product manager at Microsoft. And Stack Overflow has an answer, which I found uh, hilariously perfect. Uh, of course. So, so <laughs> the, of course, right? So, the, you know, like Stack Overflow, that's where we go for all the technical answers.
1: right? Yeah, they like, have answers oh, for this? everything.
2: Right, what does this exception mean or something? Uh, but screw that, screw the exception. We, we care about like program manager versus product manager. So the, the guy wrote, um, so Richard, Richard Berg back in July 2009 wrote that a program manager is one of the members of the core technical staff, alongside developers and testers, responsible for designing uh, and specifying features, planning release cycles, triaging bugs, presenting at technical conferences, and managing blah, 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 right? So basically, it's a, a program manager, and it's the right definition, right? A program program manager at Microsoft is part of the technical team. They're working with the devs. They're working with the testers. They're taking um, ideas or, or customer feedback, and they're creating the design, They're designing the feature, they're building a spec, they're they're doing mock-ups, they're working with the UX team to do a study. Uh, They're part of the cycle, all the way from taking that idea, getting it on paper... Getting it approved, all the way through working with engineers, with the software SDEs, with software development engineers, working with the dev teams basically. And he's they're 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 triaging bugs, they're doing their you know agile uh, cycles, uh, you know the sprints to build the feature. And when everything's said and done, they're the folks doing the presentations, right? They're at the build conference, they're talking, uh, they're in my connect videos, they're they're all over the place. So that's what a program manager is. Now let's get to product manager. That's what I am. Um, this person wrote that up. Product Manager is basically synonymous for marketing suit with quote, <laughs> so i found that, I found that pretty pretty hilarious like uh, I was like, you know, I bet you the definition is going to have like something like this, and of course it did right we're We're the marketing guys, and he he went on to say that we designed the products ad campaigns, sales websites, swag more generally uh, these folks he says define the message and hope that the media word of mouth and everything in between will associate I guess those messages with the release. And that's also not wrong. You know, it's a little bit funnier way. I love how, like, this guy's the technical guy and these guys are the marketing suit. So on the Visual Studio team or, you know, so product manager specifically on Visual Studio, in Office, in Windows, the folks that I work with in Azure as well, we're all technical, right? So we're certainly not, like, I I can't even think of a single person um, that is a, that comes from a marketing background. So I I hope we're not marketing suits from that perspective, but no, developers. <laughs> yeah, right. If you're if, if you grew up being a developer, you're you're probably still a developer regardless of your title. Um, but we are the ones who who do work on the things that he can he went on to say. You know, I have I have designed swag for a conference, right? I have worked on the website Visual Studio.com. I am the guy who's partially responsible for those annoying you know .NET or Azure ads you might have seen. Um, um, the ones that follow me around, by the way, just as much as they follow you guys, because I guess I'm also somehow in the target category. Go figure. Um, so yes, we we, we we work on all that, and we work on the message. We we do all of that. But at the end of the day, I tell this to people. I could never be what I what I am as a professional person, like a product manager. I could never be that for something that was evil. Like I I couldn't be like trying to push a, a pharmaceutical product on you, or or cigarettes, or or something. Like this is about developers, and and I with the reason why I love my job, and I think. Being a product manager is great in a technical sense is because you're, you're able to be that in-between of the, the product and the customers and you're able to shape, it, shape the, the message going to the developers in a, in a very honest and technically accurate way, right? My job is to make sure that, that the things that come out from program managers and developers is then translated into a, into a mass audience of developers who can consume it, get educated by it, and also at the end of the day hopefully use the product because, hey, we, we do want people using Visual Studio, Azure, et cetera.
1: One of the things that we often talk about on the show is developers making a transition forward into some other role, you know, within their company or maybe within another company. So for a developer, you know, that's listening to the show right now and saying, hey, what types of skill set do I need to become a product manager? Product <laughs> I said it right, right? I
0: just, <laughs> I was uh, just Are you was you fell in my decision? trap. <laughs> I, I, I was holding on. I was like, let me make sure I say this right, right? I wrote it down.
2: <laughs> i was about to say i was like see so didn't she write it down <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. there
2: you go. that's exactly <laughs> what i should have sure. googled it and went to i think it took me th- the 14 years of my of my career before i got to this role to to remember the difference between those two um so tra- transition that's a that's a great question i will say um let me kind of do my best to go go around the, the table of skills right the kind of things that i i find that i use every single day in, in my life or use at those moments when it matters um, and i i will i will tell you guys a little bit about myself before I get into it. So when I started my career for the first few years as I was doing development, again, you know, 16 years. I, I mean, that's, that sounds crazy. I, I think of the number 16 in years and it's scary as heck to think I've been doing this for so long. But the first couple of those years, um, I, I really didn't know if I wanted to be a developer for the rest of my life. I mean, I really questioned if this was the right career choice. I, I, I felt I was good at it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a career and I think you guys can appreciate the difference. Right between those those two versions, um, so as as I got to the point in my career, probably I mean I honestly, if I was to be honest with myself, probably about four years into it or so, I realized okay, I I do love this. This is my career, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna become a better developer. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do all sorts of things and. And I just happened to be the kind of person that stumbled around. I was a um, developer, then I was a mid-level developer, then I was a senior developer, I was a team lead, then I was a release manager, uh, then I managed some people, then I managed the UX implementation of a product, then I was a little bit of an architect. Like I kept being uh, shifted around because I, I felt that I was just technically strong. But it took me even longer, probably kind of closer to where I am today, so maybe looking like five years ago from from today backwards, is when I... I picked up this this bug, so to speak, of like, man, I want to talk at conferences. I I want to talk at a user group. I wanna I wanna have a podcast, and and all of those things happened through through sheer kind of pushing myself. And you have to, as a developer, sometimes ask you, yourself, what is it that, that you feel most passionate about? And if that thing is product, be, being a product manager, or if that thing is like being an evangelist at a company like Microsoft or Google or Facebook. I mean, there's there's tons of us everywhere. Um, you have to take take a step out of the cubicle, so to speak, right? You have to transition from being a person that's that's worried about the code as the only thing that you worry about and, you know, deployments and successful, you know, rollouts and all that stuff. And you have to start thinking to yourself, well, how do I talk to people, right? So being able to speak in front of a group uh, I think is, is a huge skill that, that any developer, you know, as their career moves forward, benefits from. Uh, they can start anything from a small group at, at your company. You know, you can speak to your team. You know, even that could be stressful. Something more stressful than, than talking to strangers, depending who's in the room. Um, but eventually, there's lots of opportunities we, we all have if we care to speak to, to 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 people at different kind of events. So that's the one thing that I started doing. Um, you know, creating a podcast like I did for two years or like you guys are doing today. Um, like I had The Connected Show with Peter Ladati another my... Microsoft person, um, I mean, that was pushing myself, right? That was like, okay, well, forget the whole figuring out how to, how to run a podcast thing, but also, hey, I have to speak to people. I have to ask them questions. I have to be curious enough to, to make something entertaining. Um, so, so all those skills and all those adventures, I think, hugely benefited being able to be in a position where you're not, not always, in fact, often not the one speaking in front of a huge crowd or something important, but you're the one creating that experience, right? So you're you're the coach and you can't be a coach if you've never done it yourself. I find that to be very hard to do, right? Kind of as an imaginary exercise. Um, so that's one thing, speaking, public speaking and understanding how to entertain an audience, how to keep them engaged. I think all of those things are, are super important um, as product managers. I also think on the other hand, some, something that's much drier, I would say, is writing, the ability to, to put your thoughts on paper. And I don't mean that even from a like you have to take college classes to become a great writer sort of thing. I mean it's just about being able to create concise and clear ideas on paper and communicate that to others because I write a lot of email right so so that that's one thing but then outside of that joke I mm-hmm. I also create a lot of things that, that go out to the public and even if you have uh, copy editors and people who are much better at English you know sentence structure and tone of voice than than you are um, you're still going to have to create create that initial Narrative initial initial thought. You're gonna to have to cre- create the child, even if somebody else kind of takes them and helps them grow up to be the final product. So the public speaking, the writing, and also the deep technical understanding. Um, you you can't help your your product become successful in the market if you don't know the product, right? So that I think is super important. Th- those are the very three basic things I would say.
1: You mentioned a little while, a little while ago that you know you were able to to jump between these these various teams and these various roles because you're you're such a strong candidate and such a strong technical person so where did your passion for technology come from and and how were you able to continuously keep evolving and growing and you know what are some of the techniques you did to, to keep relevant and you know keep progressing forward in your career
2: yeah, I, I would say that this comes back to something that I often talk to young people about when I when I do have and you know it doesn't come every day, but when I do have an opportunity to, and I get asked by somebody who's who's kind of just starting their their life and they're thinking about where you know which career path to take and they say, hey, Dimitri, tell me about being a software developer. You know, uh, so I, I would say the first thing that I tell them right off the bat is you've got to love it, right? This field is not for the for the weak of heart. You will have to love it because you will constantly have to keep learning, and I think that's the one thing I was able to do well i i will go back you know I love how you, how you introduced this, Dimitri. You said you were such a great, you know I'm like, oh, I'm not that great <laughs> I just I, of course I survived. you survived <laughs> I survived you know no but but like, look i I have worked with some really really great developers in the past, for example, people that could write code. You know, and run circles around me at the same time. I was I was never that guy, right? I wasn't like, hey, have you ever seen the best developers we have is Dimitri? You know, nobody ever said that. But what I did do is, hey, what's this that thing, <laughs> you know? Or or hey, what's this uh, you know MSI thing for, for deploying our product that's better than uh, xcopy we do today? Or hey, how can we solve that problem for for the SQL Server uh, update scripts that run too long across our farm of 16 machines? You know, so. I guess I asked a lot of questions and, and that's kind of where I come back to that whole you've you've gotta love it, you've gotta keep learning uh, conversation. And that's that's what I did. I kept I kept asking questions and I kept learning new technologies, I kept exploring things, and even if I never became like an expert at it where I would like tell you everything about it and be the SME, right? Like the, the subject matter expert of of let's say .NET. I was never this SME about .NET. But I, I was probably one of the first people in, in my company to learn about it, to program in it, to, to realize how it could help us to develop a certain kind of new project easier, better, faster, et cetera. And I think that's where where folks have to find that passion. I think that's what helped me constantly shift around. And then, you know, they didn't drag me into architecture because I was a great architect. They dragged me in because I spent more time tinkering WCF than anybody else and they needed their services fixed up across the company. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't like, Dimitri, you're the best programmer. It was like, we architect. It was like, Dimitri, so you know this WCF thing, right? And you kind of understand how it can make our services better. Why don't you come on our team and do this? Or, you know, Dimitri, hey, we, we knew you, you know, you, you understood how to how this whole .NET thing works. Can you help us build a project for wind forms for this, you know, problem, the business problem that we have. Um, so I think that's what kept me going most of the time.
1: So it kind of sounds to me like you're just the guy that gets stuff done, and then we can definitely rely on dimitri to get stuff done. Pretty much is what it sounds like to me. And that, you know, for me, that's a, that's an awesome thing to be able to, to to have somebody say about you. And going back to one of your other points, you know, one of the things that I personally always try to do is, you know, as I go through different projects or even between different companies. Is I try to put myself around people that I think are smarter than me or better than me in some particular aspect because I want to reach out to those people so that I can keep learning from them. You know what I mean? And I think that's always important for me so that I have that challenge, right? Like I challenge to up my game up to, to that level. Or take it up that 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 much more of a notch, so that you know again I can be a better employee, I can be a d- better developer, you know, and I, and I just keep working on my skills, refining my skills, putting myself on teams and challenging projects, and and working with again really smart engineers and really smart architects, so that you know at the end of the day you just your your skills just kind of grow from it too.
2: Yeah, I, I would I would add to that by saying that you know when when you think about sort of your your peers, right? Your as your career develops, I mean, I, I've I've known situations where people really were. Kind of hesitant to to go into into a team environment or a new opportunity because they felt that they would be the dumbest person in the room, right? That that fear of like of self worth that wasn't there, you know, like man, I'm not good enough to be part of that company or I'm not good enough to be in this team or those guys are much smarter than me, guys or girls, right? Um, you, you know, so I think that's the that's one of the things people have to get over. You know, you're you're never going to be. The smartest, best person in everything. This, you know, and and in fact, being around people who are smarter and better than you is awesome, right? Kind of back to what you said. It's it's a great environment to be in because it pushes you forward and you learn something and you have somebody to help you. It's it's all those positive things I find most of the time and and much less of the negative things that of you know, hey, this person's smarter than me, so they're gonna get the promotion, right? It's <laughs> it, that that isn't the, the real world. It's just not. Not exactly how it works. It's more about what you get done. And and I and I can say that I have gotten things done. You know, I don't think I'd be anywhere close to where I am in my career if, if I didn't get things done. And have I been perfect? Man, man, I've I've had some terrible moments in my in my professional career, right? We've we've all we've all run that update script on SQL Server without the worst clause at some point. Okay? <laughs> I'm not gonna admit where, when, or how, or which employer. But, but it I, happened. I, but but a certain thank God. Dev environment database didn't survive, okay? Um, I didn't oh, you were up- the guy. Yeah, that was me. You were me. the guy that did that. Oh, man, you forgot we worked together? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew Richie forgot about me. I was like, Richie hasn't brought that up yet. No, but, but yeah, um, I was that guy, right? And we've all, we've all had moments where, you know, like I had a project I worked on that uh, I joined the project feeling like, man, I don't know the technology. I'm not going to even mention the technology, but I'm like, I'm like, they need my help. They, Dimitri gets things done and they want me on the project and they, they feel good about having me on, but I'm feeling terrible. This is the scary as heck. And I tell them like, I'm going to need help. And they're like, you're going to get all the help you need. And then I get there and it's like no help And <laughs> I get this thing done. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to fail. And of course I fail. And of course, you know, everybody's like, "All right, well, here's some other project." But you know, you like, you're leaving that that thing you you worked on. You like, you know, you didn't contribute, and and it happens to everybody. The most important thing is, is to drive forward and and not let that get you down. To know your limitations. Sometimes you you do have to know that something's out of your out of your reach. Like, if somebody ran up to me tomorrow and said, Dimitri, We need you." All of a sudden, our developer got sick, and and all of a sudden, for some reason, you have to develop this feature in Visual Studio using C++, and I would be like looking at them like, "What?" <laughs> um, no that's, that's not gonna be me even if I do have a week and I do have this fat textbook and C++ right you, you know uh, could I probably write some C++ code sure am I the guy to write the feature into Visual Studio heck no I'm not hitting that commit <laughs> button um, we all have to know our limits but you have to you have to grow in the places you're passionate and when you're passionate you will find a way to move forward and if you're around great people you're gonna be better for it I, I, I really encourage people not to limit themselves because of fear fear uh, kind of is, I mean, th- this isn't like me saying it. This is like me saying what other people have said that I find super true, which is like we stop ourselves most of the time. The fear is often created by ourselves. It's not often a reality on the outside. And if you can fight through it, you're so much better for it.
0: Bringing it back to Microsoft, th- there is one question I, I, I really wanted to ask you. And that, uh, I don't know if, if you have an answer, or if you you know deal with this, but and that's with how Visual Studio Code came about, and what was the story, what was the internal discussion on, on how that came to be?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good one. So, you know, um, b- being in my role, you have one problem. You you often get to the point of knowing so much that you don't know what you should or shouldn't talk about, and you and you start to side of the tr- on the side of like I'm just not gonna talk about anything. Um, right. But, but look, like, I I don't want to do that here. I wanna I wanna try to say as much as I can, which is you know I I think it comes back to the statement. That there's a lot of good people at Microsoft. You know, a lot of people that care, and you know, there's certain. Business implications for something like Visual Studio Code. There's community implications. There's, there's I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, risks and rewards for any activity you do when you create a new product. And I think the the reward part of, that the folks and the developer division and other parts of the company, they made the decision to build this thing and release it and go on the track of, of having this lightweight tool and al- and allowing the you know the Mac or the or the Linux developer to have something you know that's called Visual Studio on their machine that allows them to develop. I think it's it's just something that people have wanted and they finally felt that they had the right sort of set of opportunities in front of them to make it happen. And I think the biggest kind of culture change that we've had recently, and I wouldn't even call it a culture change, but let's just say a difference in terms of what we've been able to do as as Visual Studio. We've been able to, to, to kind of attack the, the problem of cross platform development. And when I talk about cross platform development, I talk about it from uh, cross platform mobile or cross platform server right? So mobile we've been doing for a while now in partnership with Xamarin uh, who's, a, who's, an, who's a different company but they've done as one of our partners a great job at making C Sharp run across devices you know on across iOS and Android devices as part of Visual Studio experience um, and we have done the C++ now in Visual Studio 2015 that allows you to build C++ components as part of your let's say Java app that you want to build um, the runs across platform or the Apache Cordova app that runs across platforms so you've you've seen all that kind of grow up really quickly but at the same time you know, unbeknownst to people, we've been dealing with the server part of it as well. We've been thinking, how do we get, you know, a .NET running across server? And Mono has been been a great inspiration. So I think when the decision was to open source .NET and to make a runtime that can run across Linux and Mac, we we had a simple problem to solve, and that is, we wanted developers to have a good experience when they're developing not only for the Mac, but also on the Mac. And there you have it. We, we now have a product that hopefully enables .NET and other language scenarios through our ecosystem. And we just hope that, that folks you know, come on board, uh, check out you know code and, and our cloud and our Visual Studio, the, the main Visual Studio, so to speak. Um, these are all things that, uh, the, these are all real products. Like the one thing that I feel really good about is that Visual Studio Code is not like a side project from some team, you know, like this is a real thing. It's as real as the the tools we have for building Python Python uh, application websites, or the tool we have for building Node. Folks see those projects and they think, "Well, that's Microsoft just kind of messing around." No, no. no. I love this. Like most people I talk to think that the Python tools for Visual Studio is a community open source project that's run by third parties. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, no. They they sit in building 24. said you want to come by? I can I can introduce you to them. Like these these guys and girls are working really hard on this product. So a lot of misconceptions about us that that's we have to fight through to say we. We, we care about the Python developer, the Node developer, and, and we want people to be using our products no matter what the uh, dev environment, you know, what what, are, what was they, they decided to do their dev on, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: I, I, um, I'm a long-time uh, Microsoft developer. Started off in VB3, went over, even did some visual interdev. Oh, my God, and, I'm high-fiving uh, you right now. I just can't see yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> what's up? Virtual <laughs> high-five. Interdev. And, um, you know, I, I, I still have a shrink-wrapped copy of Visual Studio Beta 1. Wow. And um, yeah, I know. I, I I was going through my closet the other day. I'm like, whoa, what's this? It's gold. It's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I've been using the product for so long, and I think the last nine months that you guys have done with Visual Studio Community, which I do all my demos on now whenever I present, and Visual Studio Code, which um, I have definitely been using, and I know Cecil has been using too. Ha- they have, I think, transformed how I view Visual Studio as a developer. And I want to thank you for putting those tools out there and, and giving myself, the, the normal run-of-the-mill you know, a developer, an opportunity to use those tools in just different scenarios than I'm working in an enterprise uh, shop
2: and you know, I, I love the word. Uh, thank you, guys, You know, you who who is the you here? I mean, I think you'd be surprised how many people the you should 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 go towards. I mean, this is the the work of, of an enormous amount of people. That that again, I'm gonna come back to saying this. I know it probably sounds corny, but they care. You know, it's it it's folks that really want the best developer experience of their community, and and still want to get a paycheck. We still all want to make money and and be successful as a company. I mean, don't, don't get us wrong, right? Um, I I do care about. Microsoft making money, but when we when we solved the years all the challenges developers had around the the fact that there wasn't such things community as one example a, a free extendable version of VS that had no none of that you know figure out which version you need for which thing you want to build but like one thing you can install and and build with and demo with and train on right the training exception or the open source exception we have in the license all these things are designed to foster this like notion of like we're just looking to find ways to make your life easier and I I just feel awesome about what you said I'm gonna I'm gonna quote that and send it to a bunch of folks be like, this is why all this stuff was worth it, because um, when we decided to, to make Visual Studio Code get released, or, you know, like, uh, when we decided for community to come into existence, or for enterprise to to replace Ultimate, these were all, these were all a lot of work, like, an enormous amount of work. I mean, one would think, how much work could it be to change the you know, the string from the word ultimate to the word enterprise and change the price, Dimitri. I mean, how much how much work would that be? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough time to discuss how much work that was, but but it was the right thing to do. And, you know, Guffrey and Soma and everybody made decision that I think was the right decision. And we went as a team, all did our part. You know, like I remember spending nights and nights making sure that the web page and com that I, that I owned said the right things about enterprise in the day when our, when our leader announced it. You know, it's like when our GM, Mitra, announced the fact that this thing was released uh, to the public on the just Studio team blog. I mean, that was an enormous amount of work, you know, inventors vendors and other stuff. And, and that was just like a small little thing. And the ecosystem is huge when, when you're working at a company like Microsoft.
1: So when you're away from the keyboard, like what are some of the things that you, you find yourself doing? Like what are some of your hobbies or, you know, what are some of the things that keep you interested and motivated and, and, and zoned in?
2: Yeah, I mean th- those have varied over the years. I would say that the one, uh, the one consistent hobby has been kind of playing games. I think I've, I was attracted to the computer to the very first time ever by, uh, like asteroids or something. You know, something I saw like in a DOS command window running on a an PC as a little kid on a and a 386 SX something. You know, that that my school had at the time, the Donkey Kong game. You know, throwing that that. But you know, banana, whatever the heck you freely kill the other monkey. I mean, those basic <laughs> games. I mean, you you guys might know what I'm talking about. Those yeah, I know what you're talking about. Really, yeah, there you go. Uh, those are the kind of things that really attracted me to to computers, and I was like, oh my god, games. And I did the whole console thing for a while as as a kid, but I really stuck with PC for, throughout today. Um, so gaming is a huge hobby. Uh, when I was younger, um, I also volunteered with the New York City Police Department. I was like an auxiliary police officer, and I did that for six years. I I found that to be very, very interesting and, and exciting and, you know, opening my eyes to, to the world that I would have probably never gotten to see as a civilian kind of all, all the time. But at some point I had to stop that. I, I just couldn't commit the time and there was other other concerns in life that needed my, my full time attention. You know, I got married and, you know, life changed. Join Microsoft, that sort of thing around the same time. So I think the only the only hobby that's the only kind of outdoor activity I, I outside work activity that survived with me is honestly playing games like me and my wife we're not outdoorsy people we're not like people that love camping you know sure we like to see our friends and that sort of thing so yes spending time with people people i like definitely high on my list but in terms of like hobbies (laughs) i would say gaming is probably the the one hardcore hobby that i have
1: so what are some of the games you're playing right now
2: um, I've been spending time switching back and forth between a couple of MMOs. I've been playing Star Wars: Old Republic quite a bit. I'm a big mm. Star Wars fan, and I, you know, I think that game has some of the best writing and stories. I mean, like if if it's free to play, so like if I can give it one gaming tip to anybody out there listening i would say if you have a pc if you don't mind or and or you love mmos and if especially if you love star wars but even if you don't but if you do love star wars go check out this game and play through like the sniper story on the, on the imperial side you will be like taken aback just doing the story part right you could probably do that thing whenever never even play with another human being just like connect to the server and, and just do the story some awesome writing voiceovers and, and just really gets you into the universe and the other side, I've been playing Elder Scrolls Online quite a bit. Another, um, you know, another different genre of MMO games uh, because I'm a big Elder Scrolls fan over the years. So really, just spending a lot of time there. In the past, I I played everything. You know, I've I remember playing Duke Nukem and Doom. You know, on on yeah. over over like a modem connection with over the ten network with other people back when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I remember kind of early internet days. Somebody said, Oh God, there. <laughs> <laughs> if if you remember ten. there's actually the, like nobody ever knows what I'm talking about. Do you guys know what the ten network was?
1: Yeah, I know what the ten was.
2: That was that was some really like interesting times, my friend. That was that was I don't know how to describe it to people. I mean that was like the first time you can go and like play with random people. It wasn't on the internet, it was like over the modem thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you had set to set up some network and then you know you could pair up and you know, you and your buddy could just go at it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was that was really fun. Um, and you can go out with more than one person, right? That was a whole big thing. Different yeah. modem connections created a mini internet for mini mini network for playing with your friends. Um, that was kind of really high tech. And I went from there and played every game under the sun on the PC, from like uh, Star Trek, you know, RPGs, all the way through, you know, like Solar Winds or you, you know, every every game you you can probably think of. I played Mass Effect
1: more more than I want to admit. Um, lots of games, <laughs> but really MMOs have kept my interest lately. So it's funny to me how, you know, before, you know, most of, you know, when they made games, like most of the game was the campaign, right? And you could play the campaign offline or whatever. And, you know, you had this really deep story, this really rich, these really rich environments. And now for me, I feel like if I don't have the internet and I'm not playing multiplayer, like a lot of these games really don't have as much content as I'd like them to have. Isn't that a weird thing? It's weird. So so I used to play, so I played Call of Duty a little bit. You know, I played Destiny. Destiny is probably the game I've been playing a little bit more now lately. But, you know, for Call of Duty, like the campaign is short. Like, you know, you could go through the campaign in maybe like two or three days. You know, and then after that, it's like, okay, well, I just paid 60 bucks for this game. And what if I'm not the type of person that I don't want to join clans or I don't want to, hmm. you know, I don't have time to schedule to meet every Tuesday or every other day at five okay. o'clock to go raiding. You, you know, if you the, miss
2: the guild meeting, you're
0: out. Okay. Or get cursed by a fifteen-year-old.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 both sides. Either the management folks in the guild really want you to to attend something and wear their uniform. Or it's the fifteen-year-old cursing you because he's so much better. Or or you, you suck and you're a cheater.
1: You know. It's uh. Yeah. We, we all have those experiences. You noob. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Exactly. And you know when 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 I have when they play games like those, I almost just it just makes it not fun for me anymore. You know, it kind of just takes away from it because unless I have two or three other friends that have the same game, we're all going to go on at the same time, which for me almost never happens you know then it's kind of like you're going on you're with random people you know they're talking smack to you like the entire mm-hmm. time and it's just like hey, i don't want to do this anymore let me just go back and like write some code
2: <laughs> yeah well I, I would say that playing you know like I, I spent a lot of time in star wars playing with guilds and and not guilds as well so like my, my wife got into games and that's been a huge thing for me um i remember when she she wasn't like that right but ever since i would say maybe three four years ago she started to game a lot more so now we play together which is a really you know unique experience not everybody has has yeah. That so I'm, I'm I feel lucky that we can enjoy like Star Wars or other scrolls together or even other games. Um, but even outside of having that, that you know that this friend and wife who, who's willing to do that with you in terms of the community it is it is big right. There are certain games that foster communities much better, and I often. Just want to scream at designers for designing systems that don't that don't make that a good experience, right? And I, yeah. I, I can, geez, I can talk to somebody quite a bit about that for just from as a consumer perspective, right? But um, Star Wars had probably the the best experience in terms of recently like playing with others who are strangers. I've been in a few guilds and they've been just great supportive people. Not perfect, but you know, uh, just just supportive and even just doing. Harder content with pickup groups, as they call it, you know, random strangers who group up with you, getting on voice chat with them and having them explain the fight to you and being patient and being okay if somebody doesn't do as well, you know, based on their expectations. I mean, those, those are the kind of things that at the end of the day, you walk away from the experience. If you win, if you kill the boss, if you don't kill the boss, you feel great. That's where you're winning. And... I would encourage all game developers to think about that. You know, you have to create the community and therefore the tools so they can groupy, e- people can group easy, find each other easy. Uh, built-in voice chat, neither here nor there. I would say Teamspeak kind of won the game there. Um, yeah. But you know, on the PC side of it, right, or Xbox Live on the Xbox. But you definitely want to want to do that and have a good ignore system. <laughs> you you want to be able to get get those people you you want out of your life, out of your life. You need a moderation. <laughs> There's really no way for these you know big title games to survive without a lot of that It's so sickening where you know you have people who are constantly cheating and nobody's doing anything about it or you have people that are constantly horrible, rude, or just annoying, and it ruins your experience and that that's something that does cost developers
0: time and money and they have to invest into it if, to be successful There's only one time that my wife and I were able to game together. And that was, I guess that was before we had kids, and that was when Age of Empires 2 came out. Ooh, and yeah. we were able to play not against each other, because she refused to play against Ooh. me, but we were able to play with each other. And whether that was online or whether that was with some just some bots coming out. And I had fun right playing that, and she enjoyed it because she's a big historical buff, so she was able to, oh, well, let me try out this civilization or that civilization and build it up. But I do remember that one time and that we were able, that one game we were able to play together, you know, quite fondly
2: yeah and that to me is a a great example because we have the same thing right we don't play against each other it's always co-op it's always about um playing against other people together or against other ai opponents as a team or as as just two of us and that really is a great experience it annoys the heck out of me when um you have a game like fallout for example i'm a huge fan she's a huge fan but you know it's like when you have that limited kind of family time together and you decide that the gaming is going to be the investment you make um you know what 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 has tv always been good at you can put as many people as you want in front of that tube right and they all get the same experience, right? They can cooperatively watch TV. And I often ask myself with game developers if they're, you know, I mean, look, I understand, right? Online stuff takes coders who know what they're doing and, and it takes investment in time. And some companies just vote out of that ecosystem. But but I do question whether they sometimes miss the opportunity. If Fallout had a co-op mode, even if it was limited to just being a sidekick and never being part of their core story, like I would play the game a lot more, right? And I would buy the DLC more. And, you know, we, we would have more experiences. And, you know, those of us who who are married and have those, those folks who are willing to engage in the same activity. Um, I mean, I see that becoming more and more common as generations change. Yes, my parents don't game together. Me and my wife got into gaming together. I can imagine my kids will naturally just game together if they're married, right? If they're both computer people, uh, computer-oriented kind of people. So I think the, the investment is a worthwhile investment for game developers. I hope more realize that uh, enabling uh, whether you're your two best friends, you know, I had my, my best friend years ago that I used to play with all the time when I was a kid, you know, me and him would, would play every game together, starting from the 10 network all the way up to, you know, and, and playing on the internet. So I would say co-op is super important, and, and but it is an investment to make.
1: I think one of our our go-to games when, you know, it's time for, you know, the family to get together and play something definitely has to be one of those dancing games like Dance (laughs) Central or something like that because you know because that way (laughs) kind of like you said because that way everybody can get involved Right. And I don't have to worry about memorizing button combinations or the killer combos or anything like that. You just stand up in front of the TV, we we pick a song and then, you know, we're just, you know, we're dancing, we're acting a fool, we're just being stupid around each other. And it's just so much laughter and enjoyment coming from from those types of games. And and as as simple as it is for me, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm bonding with my family a lot more when we were able to play games like that. Yeah. I mean, of course, I I, I still want, I still like playing Halo. I still like playing the Arkham series. I still like playing those other games. But for those, like you said, those are more like solo type games. Yeah. And yeah. This need
2: to be sad for that. You know, for both of those being unique experiences, right? They're not they're, the same. Gaming is being way too generic, right? There's all sorts of like yeah. levels and and scenarios there that some are much better for for the family versus other things.
1: No, definitely, definitely. But for me, that that experience for me is a lot more interesting for me you know so i'd always try and find games that everybody could kind of be a part of like i'm i'm guessing like if if you had a Wii, like you play like smash brothers or something like that or, <laughs> yeah right or uh, yeah. what's that other game um i think it's called uh uh rivals or something like that like the sports games connect rivals i think that's what it's called but even like games like those where everybody could, you know we're playing tennis together we're bowling we're playing golf and, you know, and you're being interactive with each other you know it for me just, that's just that much more enjoyable Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Those those are really great experiences, and you know, I again, I I'm always a developer, right? I can't help not to have that developer head when I see stuff like that. And start to analyze the genres and think about all the technical, you know, pros and cons. And you know, it really it really is the amazing kind of where technology is going. Especially um, what really piques my imagination is all the VR stuff that's coming out now. I mean, it's all very early on, and I was one of the lucky people at Microsoft that that got to put out the HoloLens headset early before the public got to see it, and I mean, it's incredible, right? When you, when you are now. Uh, you know, what Oculus lived and HoloLens and all these all these headsets, you know, you're taking yourself and removing yourself from the physical space, moving yourself into a virtual space or bringing virtual spaces into your world. I mean, the world's about to change, my friends. You know, I think five years from now, we're going to be having a very interesting discussion about how we and the family, um, we're in a living room together, but we had headsets on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we were all on Mars, you know, as opposed to like, you know, playing with the drums. And who knows? I mean, I, it's exciting. I, I, love, I love where we are today with technology. The future is bright.
1: That was a great conversation with Dimitri. We want to thank him for coming on the show and sharing his passion about gaming and Visual Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website
0: at awayfromthekeyboard.com
1: or on Twitter
0: at aftkpodcast. Podcast. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can comment and rate us. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, Sign up to our newsletter, and we'll give you behind-the-scenes access to Away From the Keyboard.
1: Next week on Away From the Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with DBA and Civil War reenactor, Gareth Swanepoel. Is that how you say
0: his name? Yeah, that's how you say his name. Oh, great. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a great conversation. I can't wait to have you guys listen and gals you people listen to this conversation it's awesome it's fantastic we'll see you next week ciao we want to thank you for listening to away from the keyboard as a reminder we will have new episodes each and every week You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at AwayFromTheKeyboard.com. Hasta luego.
1: So, Dimitri, I have to ask you, since you have such a passion and love for games, have you ever tried writing your own games? (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, yes, I have. I've tinkered with it. I, I mean, I've built like apps for Windows Phone. That's the things that I've actually shipped on my own in recent times. And I've certainly shipped products at customers, you know, and and for my employers and such. But gaming has never been a professional thing that I that I've ever you know had the opportunity to work on. Uh, maybe one day, and you know, I'm ne- I'm never going to say never to anything. But for now, uh, gaming company is not on my resume. Um, but <laughs> personally, I I think it's it's an awesome awesome idea. The problem that I have with with making games is that I'm just not a strong game developer, right? I don't have a lot of the skills that I feel a person would need to to write a game as an individual because you need a little bit of an an arts kind of background you need a little bit of a a physics geometry you know you need different things depending on your idea and most of my idea needed enough stuff that i kept stopping myself like okay i've hit a technical wall where i alone couldn't do this and when you're tinkering it's easy to to, to do something like a windows phone app for like a podcast show like i did for the the tv network but it's it's really hard to make a good game and i'm and, and that and that little angel devil comes up and it's like oh go go make it anyway and then the other side goes but you don't have the skills, and that's when the knowing your limitations comes in. If I'm not gonna do a good job, I'm gonna I'm not gonna spend my personal time on on something like that. Um, but I hope one day, you know, maybe.
0: Oh wait, I remember you now. <laughs> you just you mentioned the the twit thing, it's and twit thing, um, yes. yeah. So you were were you at the recording that they had after the build with yes, Richard and Carl Franklin there? Yes. Ah, okay, I did see that episode. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh that's really cool that dude get the app man he got the props in the show oh that's amazing it only took you an hour and 50 seconds to remember
1: who he is (laughs) listen
0: man (laughs) i i am just about as sleepy as this cat on my desk right now I,
2: i started this show by saying to you guys nobody knows who i am and that really is the truth i mean we we all we all have so many people out there that we know social networks and all these shows and podcasts i mean it's hard to keep it straight right except for the big stars i mean like everybody knows who scott hanselman is i I mean, but after that, like at Microsoft, who? <laughs> who? Yeah, nobody, you don't know who Scott Hanselman is, right? Who's Scott Hanselman? <laughs> oh, Never heard Ryan of him. Mike Keller, or, you know, like some of, you know, Dan Fernandez, you know, people that have been up up in, in Channel 9 and other places at events for a long time. You know, those names. Um, but, you know, th- there's just a ton of great people out there working on awesome stuff. And I was just, you know, kind of privileged enough to, to build that Twitter app. And I'll, I'll tell you guys a backstory, a short one on, on how that came to be. I was at a Microsoft internal event um, where they do like technical readiness years ago uh, before I was like a product manager I was like um, doing consulting services Microsoft consulting services work for customers and I went to this event in Seattle here and I was excited and you know this internal Microsoft event where they show us confidential things that are coming in the future and it's really awesome that they do that for their employees um, twice a year so I was over there and they showed Windows Phone for the first time right and they showed .NET and and XAML and everything and all the things I knew already how to do and I was like man This is so awesome. I got so hyped up after that conference um, was over, that keynote that day. I went back. They gave us access before the public keynote to the tools, and I stayed up all night. I got home to my hotel after dinner at around 8 p.m., and I coded till eight o'clock in the morning. I don't know how I, how I survived this, nice. honestly. Um, but I coded my first prototype of the Twitter app. I don't know why I chose Twitter. I was like, man, I like these guys. You know, let me build an app for it. And we had like a thousand people, like a party sort of like show, show and tell for Windows Phone. And I emailed those guys and I said, I said, look, I didn't sleep the whole night, but here's a <laughs> screenshot of the thing I built with the thing you announced <laughs> yesterday. Can I come to your you know event and show it off and they had me on stage that was the first time i was ever in front of a thousand people cheering Whoa. wow and i got to awesome. show my app for like 30 seconds um and it was it was such an amazing thing that i then i didn't spend like six months building the real thing you know making the, the real one and I, I had like app number 700 or something in the marketplace it was really cool but yeah it's a you know when you find your passion my friends i mean that's what it comes down to
1: that's like developer superpower there that's what that is yeah but coding until a morning.
2: <laughs> A lot of excitement I'm telling you men endorphins or whatever you know excitement gets you through it. <laughs>